Church, we have an amazing praise band. Uh, it has... wonderful that we have an opportunity to worship here each and every Sunday. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. I'm in the very beginning of the letter. This is Paul's uh, thanksgiving to the church itself. Listen for the word of God. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. He made it so you could take part in the inheritance and light granted to God's holy people, he rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of his cross. Amen. Well, this might be shocking to say in November, but Happy New Year, or rather Happy New Year's Eve. Uh, next week, at least, is the beginning of the new church calendar. This is something we don't talk about a ton. Uh, but next week begins Advent, which is the start of the Christian calendar. And so that makes this week New Year's Eve. And it's just like any other New Year's Eve, it's a time to celebrate. It's a good time to celebrate the past year. It's a good time to look forward to what might come next week, what might come in this coming year. And what better way to do that, what better way to celebrate than to celebrate Christ in all of his glory, Christ as King. Christ as final authority, final ruler, absolute and eternal. Judge and ruler over all, for all time. Praise the Lord that Christ is king. Here's the bad news, though, of that statement. Uh, we don't like kings. Ever. There's not a time in our history where we look back and say, wow, that king was great. We don't really ever say that. We don't like kings, and that might be just an American thing, but it really does go beyond that. You see, throughout Scripture, almost every king that comes up is bad. Almost every single one. The very first person in all of Scripture that proclaims himself to be king is in the book of Judges, and he's an awful king. He is ridiculously evil. And then we get to the United Kingdom of Israel, 
and two of the three kings are evil. And then the kingdom divides into the northern kingdom of Israel, and all of those kings are evil. And the southern kingdom of Judah, and most of those kings are evil. You might be sensing a pattern. After that, after exile, we get into the rest of Scripture, and we find out that all the rulers, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Assyrians, all of the rulers outside of Israel and Judah, they're also all evil. They're considered evil repeatedly. And what happens is after the exile, when the Jews return, and somebody always has their thumb on them, they're always paying tribute, they're always paying taxes to somebody else, they're never in control of their land again, what we find is that the Jews are constantly in rebellion because of these evil kings, these evil rulers that are over them. They're constantly revolting. And even today, after Scripture, even throughout history, when we see complete authoritarian rule, complete authoritarian kings, queens, dictators, you name it, they're almost always considered evil. What they're doing is almost always horrific. We often see human rights in those nations being violated. Sometimes we see civil war or revolution. Sometimes, in the worst cases, we even see genocide. <coughs> One ruler is a bad thing. One ruler, full authoritarian rule, is a really bad thing. Closer to home, of course, in our history, we have the Declaration of Independence, and we know and love the beginning of the Declaration, that first, first paragraph, that preamble. But the rest of the document, which is not short, the rest of that document is written against King George in its entirety, written against King George. And if there's one thing that we learned from Hamilton, it's that we don't like kings. The vast majority of our founding document is against the things that King George did, the things that we didn't like, the things that were hurtful to the American colonies. Things like the inordinate taxation rate, right? The fact that tea was being taxed in ridiculous quantities. Things like the devaluing or the removing of our local governments because they thought that they were bringing revolution. Things like illegal search and seizure or soldiers that were taking property or forcing their own authority, their own uh, needs on houses and homes and families when they should have had no authority in that space. We blamed it all on King George. We wrote, Thomas Jefferson wrote, a long document and placed all of it at King George's feet. We don't like kings. It's in our very nature as Americans. It's been proved repeatedly throughout Scripture and history. We don't like kings because they are always corrupt and mean and violent and harmful to the well-being of the nation that they are charged to serve. They are entrusted to rule. And how do you respond to such a king? How do you serve a king that is like that, that's cruel? that's harmful, that violates human rights, 
Well, we know the answer. We serve those kings with revolution. It happened here in our own past. It's happened around the world and throughout history. We serve those types of kings with revolution. It's not pretty. It's often war. And yet here we are on New Year's Eve, so to speak. Here we are in the last day of our Christian calendar, and we're celebrating a king. Are there good things to celebrate? What if we judged a king differently? What if we looked at the requirements of what we think a good king is and we judged differently? Maybe we rewrote those rules. Instead of thinking of a successful king or ruler as someone who can raise a large army and go to war and conquer territory or defend their nation or raise enough money to pay for that army so that they can go to war and defend their nation, or to make alliances with people around so that they could then have alliances when they go into war or conquer territory? What if the king was the opposite of that? What if that wasn't how we judged a ruler? What if it was the exact opposite? Those three things that I mentioned are often all about war. They're often all about taxes. Uh, which is to say they're often inherently about conflict, violent or otherwise. It's about conflict either outside the walls of the nation or inside. If we judged a king differently, and if it was the opposite, what if we looked at it a king who didn't raise an army or didn't make treaties with other nations to then go to war against other nations. As it turns out, the very first description, the very first rule set that we have, the guidelines that we have for what a king is in Scripture is in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it says, don't raise an army. It says, don't collect money for an army. And it says, don't make treaties with other nations so that you'd go to war with a different nation. It says that instead, the king should stay at home, in the palace, in their own nation, in their own place, and read scripture, and follow scripture, and live a perfect life. Be the model citizen for that nation. That's what Deuteronomy tells us. It says the king should stay at peace. That should be the primary goal. Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, knows that definition. He, in fact, he knows it very well, but he expands it a little because what he finds is that people fail when they're put into the position of king. Uh, he knows 2,000 years ago the history, and he knows that it never works out well. They can't live like the Deuteronomy king does. And so he expands the definition. And now it includes that the king should be over all creation. The king, in fact, created all creation. He says the king is over all other kings. All things are held together by this king. This king is the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn of the resurrection. And this king, 
rather than pursuing war and destruction, this king reconciles all things to himself. And this king brings peace. That's the new king. That's now how we judge a king. This king brings peace. Paul tells us that God saves us from the control of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. Where we were under a dark rule, where we were under these other rulers, these other principalities, where we were under sin itself, now we are transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. And then Paul writes this beautiful poem about how Christ is this perfect king. And this poem is all about peace and his eternal reign. What an amazing place to be and to serve in Christ's kingdom, to be in this place of peace. And Paul shares the goodness of Christ and the joy of serving. He's sharing this joy with the church in Colossae. But of course, we know he's also sharing it with us. He's sharing it to the community as this letter gets passed around, not just from that church, but to the churches around, the churches after, and for the past 2,000 years. He's telling the exact same thing to us. Live lives that are worthy of Christ's kingdom. That's how you serve. How do you serve this type of king, this eternal king that saves? Live obediently to Christ's will. Feed the hungry, take care of the needy, free the oppressed. Love your neighbor, because that's what being obedient to our amazing king looks like. In fact, it's not just what being obedient to our king looks like, it's what our king actually does. It's his example to us. And when we do it, we simply follow that example. This week, uh, this past week, our Wesley Day School and the church delivered over 4,000 items to some other place for their annual Thanksgiving meal. That is amazing. Congratulations, church. You've done wonderful work. We delivered over 4,000 items to some other place for their Thanksgiving meal. The day school classes, as I understand, they made it a competition uh, to see who, which class could bring in the most. It was really, uh, really fun to watch. They each had, they each brought in things every single day, and their boxes outside of each classroom were always filled. Uh, they'd take it out at the end of the day, they'd move it to the rest uh, of their location, and then they'd start over again the next day. They'd gather it all together at the end of the day, they'd start over the next day, and everybody, every single class, always brought in a full new box of stuff, full new box of food to deliver. What happened was, when they came on Monday, they were supposed to come on Thursday, but we called ahead of time and said, we've got too much. Not only has the day school brought so much, but church, we had a big wooden crate outside of this gym, we had another big one outside of the sanctuary, and they were overflowing. People were setting, by, setting food by the sides of them because there wasn't any more room in the crates themselves. 
And so we called ahead of time and said, you might want to come and pick these up in a couple of shifts because there's not going to be enough room in your car on the first trip or on the one trip on Thursday. And so they were going to come on Monday. And when they did, they started driving and they called us and said, hey, our car broke down. Can you help us a little bit? And so fortunately, we were able to get Methodist men. They were able to come and they were able to deliver the food on Monday to some other place. And then they came back on Thursday and we delivered the rest of it. And I'll tell you, church, I've got to go back tomorrow because more came in after on Thursday. And I'll be going back to deliver the little bit left that we still have. Church, there is a lot of good that was done. There was a ton of food that was delivered hundreds and hundreds of pounds. How amazing is the kingdom of Christ at work? The entirety of our congregation and the day school working together to help feed and care for people who are hungry this week. And I'll tell you, when I talked to Meredith, our day school director, about how it worked out and us partnering with them this year, she said it worked great. She said it encouraged the day school to give even more she said we'd love to do it again next year. Just was amazing, the turnout. Church, this was wonderful ministry, wonderful opportunity to live into the kingdom of Christ. And I'll tell you, we do similar work like this every single day. It's not just some other place. It's not just the Thanksgiving meal. We have a variety of ministries, a variety of missions that we do. Church, every month, you come up to the altar for communion. There's always the opportunity to give to the Society of St. Stephen's Fund to help out people as they walk in each and every day to our church. And they do. They have people coming in each and every day who are down on their luck, who have a gap in their income or whatever else. We're able to help in those moments people with real need who are simply living in the midst of a difficult time. Lord, because you have, obedient, you have obediently followed the will of Christ, we're able to help. We're able to serve them, and we're able to share the good news of Jesus with them. And we're able to extend the kingdom of Christ to them in a way that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. It's all because you've offered and you've shared first. God set us free through the Son, and forgave our sins. Christ brought peace to the whole world through the blood of his cross. We are saved and given into a wondrous and glorious king, wondrous and eternal king. How will you serve? How will you obediently follow? How will you show to the world that you worship and serve the king of kings and the prince of peace? Last week, Rick mentioned from right here, Rick mentioned to all of us that he doesn't like to give New Year's resolution sermons. I'll tell you, I don't either. But given that next week starts the new year, the Christian new year with Advent, and we'll hear stories of how Christ in all his glory will come again, and then we'll hear and we'll read the story of Christ's birth in Bethlehem, As a church, as a community in the kingdom of God, how will we serve 
Christ in the manger? How will we serve Christ, our risen King? How will we serve our Christ who comes again? Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are good and gracious God. You are loving, you are wonderful. You are our King who we seek to obediently follow now and forevermore. Lord, we ask your blessings and your wisdom as we seek to follow you closer and closer today, tomorrow, and forever. Lord, we ask your blessings so that we continue to share that you are our king, you are the one who reigns above all, you are the one who is worthy to be praised and worshiped. Lord, it is wonderful work that you do and we are your, but your humble servants now and forever. Pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ.